Welcome back to Compound Thesis. Uh, super excited today. Our guest is Pat White, and he's the founder and CEO of Bitwave. How's it going, Pat? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me today. This is really fun. Yeah, no, super excited to uh, dive into what you guys are building. And and uh, yeah, for the listeners that are not too familiar with Bitwave, can you just give, give us a little bit of the, the origin story and, and your background and journey into crypto? Yeah, of course. So a uh, quick intro to Bitwave. We are uh, the world's leading number one uh, and first digital asset finance platform. But really, we're, uh, we are a back office tool for businesses that use crypto. So if you are a business that uses crypto, we have a bunch of different tooling that can kind of help you out from tracking, accounting, taxes, financial operations in terms of payments, all that sort of stuff, uh, and more and more helping with some of the data requirements that businesses are running into. So we are a sort of a full service uh, financial information and uh, reporting tool for businesses using crypto. Uh, I've been in crypto so uh, for a pretty long time, actually. Like, So I got into crypto uh, all the way back in uh, 2010. And I actually have some code contributed to the Bitcoin Core node, and I've just been. I was I was pretty. Like the first time I read the the Bitcoin white paper, I was pretty taken by it. To be honest, like I was I was very impressed by by it. Um, I suppose I sort of joke by this. I suppose I had a, I had a few more libertarian leanings back in my day than I do now, but there's still you know I it, it's honestly there's one of those things like it was crypto was never about the libertarian aspect to me in some ways it was always about uh how much i kind of hated the banks like mm -hmm. to be honest because uh uh i just you know always had the worst experiences with banks growing up and and uh through my life and so i you know this idea of a much more individual self-controlled destiny when it comes to uh your money it just makes so much sense and like you, you start to like dig into those kinds of things you start, you ask yourself questions like in the moment in time we're in right now like you do ask yourself questions like, well, why can't I just give up yield and have a bank account that, you know, is is reliably not going to evaporate if there's a series of bank failures? Um, and so I, I sort of got into crypto early, really liked it. Um, I'm an enterprise software guy. So my entire career has been I started at Microsoft and it's always been enterprise software. Well, I had a very brief sojourn into uh online poker. I worked for an online poker company for a while, but then the CEO got arrested. So, you know, it's, uh, that was a short-lived uh, adventure into a, a different world there. Um, but uh, enterprise software uh, was looking for something to do in crypto uh, for a long time. And finally, about 2017, you started to see businesses really getting into crypto, like actual businesses with real addresses and, and boards of directors getting into crypto. Uh, and so I figured it was time. And uh, my co-founder and I sat down and we, we wrote a list of you know, 20 or 30 different problems that businesses are going to have around crypto. And we've just been banging them off one by one. So tax and accounting are the first big ones you run into. Really, accounting is the first one because that's what businesses do that individuals don't. Tax is then sort of a quick follow on behind that. And then everything else in the world you have to worry about. So, you know, payments and data and APIs and smart contracts. What, you know, we, we tend to think a lot about like, what's the world going to look like when someone like Walmart and Microsoft are using smart contracts. Like it's, it's, it's going to be a crazy world. So that's, that's a brief history of Bitwave, a brief history of myself and, uh, and a little foray into online poker's uh, drama over the years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, th I think a lot of people are also realizing the benefits of crypto and with the recent explosion of, of, of different banks and the kind of issues that we're seeing in the system. So, um, you know, it's good to see that you guys are tackling things from an enterprise perspective because there are a ton of businesses that are, are being built in this space. And so, you know, as you talk to your customers, um, you know, if you look at just the accounting or tax, you know, uh, problems that, that you're, you're trying to solve for, you know, how do you guys... Uh, you know, deliver solutions around that because I'd imagine that you know a small medium business 
typically is built around a lot of like QuickBooks and a bunch of bookkeepers. Um, yep. How is that similar or different in what you guys are building in, in this space? Yeah, exactly that. I mean, it's the, the goal for us is to really help you get stuff into. So there's a couple of things like accounting's fun in the sense that like tax is not fun, right? Like no one likes their tax product. And this is why like retail, the retail tax market for crypto is such a miserable market because no one likes paying taxes. Like you do it under extreme duress, literally with a gun to our, a gun to our head uh, once a year. And it's kind of a miserable experience. No one likes it. Accounting is a little bit different where accounting does tell you, it tells you how much money you're making. Like accounting is interesting insight into your business. And if used correctly, it can be that. But it also is a, it is net overhead because, you know, you know what your bank account says, you know, if you're selling more than you, than you're, than you're spending. And so you, there is this aspect where it's like, it's both overhead, but also really important for your business. And we just try to walk that line. The biggest thing that we're doing is sort of the data aggregation piece. Every one of our customers has data spread across 10, 20 different chains, exchanges, different places, custodians. And getting out in the one place is, is very, very, very difficult. It seems like it should be easy because it's the blockchain. Like, it's all data. Why is this hard? Well, it seems like right. it's going to be show. Yeah, but in fact, uh, you run into every form of different problem you can have with data acquisition from custodians and exchanges and the blockchains. And, you know, oh, they don't, you know, Solana doesn't expose this one particular type of uh, reward that one of our staking providers needs. So you have to figure out a way to get that reward into the system. Uh, and, and they don't take no for an answer. They're not like, oh, okay, I understand that their API isn't very good. We'll let you off the hook, buddy. No, like you have to figure out how it is because your customers and that's what they need. Um, so our whole goal is to basically bridge the gap between the digital asset world and your, and your general ledger very intentionally so that you can kind of use your general ledger for what you need. So if you need to go in and run reports on your PL, look at your balance sheet, um, figure out your 1099s and how much you owe to your contractors. All that data gets into QuickBooks or NetSuite or whatever you work with. And we're just really providing it uh, and, and doing that kind of bridging of the gap between point A and point B there. So that's, that's the idea, but it's, it's, a, it's a lot of technical problems. Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, it's almost like the ledger of all ledgers, it sounds like, yeah. where you're aggregating a lot of this information. You know, could you give us a little bit of an idea of like the scope or scale in terms of, um, you know, the different types of uh, chains that you guys are plugged into, you know, what kind yeah. of volume you guys look at? I would just be curious. It's uh, incredible. So in terms of like, uh, there's two kind of ways of looking at it. One is is like how much we index. And then the other one is like how much, uh, how many transactions we run through Bitwith. Um, a good example of a obscene chain is Solana, which is up to this point is about 74 terabytes. And they're expecting as, as load increases, they're expecting to add about five uh, petabytes, excuse me, five petabytes uh, a year of, of new data. So on a pure data perspective, it is uh, relatively crazy, the, the data scale, the data growth on this side. So that's, that's one piece of it. In terms of transaction volume, that's, it's another really interesting part of our business. It's, it's something that I really love about our business is, you know, startups are fun because you sometimes get to see in the future, uh, whereas everyone else is kind of like dealing with their current customers. We're dealing with new problems that other people aren't really dealing with. We have customers that are, you know, 12-month-old companies with a finance team of like two or three people doing 250 million transactions a year. Hmm. Like that, that is, uh, that'd be something like Magic Eden. That is uh, unbelievable from a perspective. I was just, I was literally, at, I'm at this conference right now. I was just talking to someone who specializes in payments and we were, we were discussing that, you know, coming from the, the traditional world, someone like 250 million transactions a year is probably what a regional 
grocery store does. Now I say that where there's like no regional grocery stores left anymore. Like they all belong to Kroger's or something. Right. But you imagine like Safeway, which is like California, Nevada, a few other places like that. They probably were doing about 250 million transactions a year. And that is a 60 year old company. They grew up in the paper transaction world and all of that. Um, and they have a, they have a finance team of probably 50, 50 to a hundred people doing that. Um, and they had, you know, 50 years to build up that infrastructure and all of that. And then you have something like Magic Eden that, that over, or OpenSea that overnight went from nobody, you know, one, one person kind of doing finance as a side, as a side hustle in the company to having to really have a very, very mature, enormous, uh, uh, amount of transaction volume and a very mature process to handle it. So it's real, it's really interesting world. And I, I kind of am of the theory that this is uh, a trend across the 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 in the universe. Like, I don't think it's just crypto companies that are doing like more and more transaction volume. I tend to think that the cost of any given transaction, because of the blockchain and that existence, the cost per transaction is just going to plummet. And I don't mean like, I don't mean BIPs or like paying seven cents to do a transaction. I just mean like how easy it is to programmatically do a transaction. Mm-hmm. We don't, we haven't really gotten to the true world of like high velocity programmable money that some of us thought we'd already be in now. And so the high level for us, we just think that the transaction volume of the world is going to explode. And we, you know, we sort of have designed our whole system to be able to handle that. And so like what comes out of that data set aside from just the accounting and tax implications, like, you know, you say accounting can also be much more viewed as an asset versus a chore. Right. right? And so I imagine that there's a lot um, that a small team can glean in terms of insights into where their business is heading um, that you guys could help from a strategic finance perspective. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, we, the way BitWave works is you actually can hook up a spreadsheet. You can hook up like a Google sheet to your data. In addition to like our UI and stuff like that, you can hook it up to your data warehouse. And we have customers doing a lot of FP&A work on that because mm. honestly, crypto is incredibly difficult FP&A work. And I think even like almost like underappreciated because most businesses don't hire FP&A folks till pretty late in their, in their life cycle. But in the crypto world, you suddenly have a lot of really interesting risks. You have counterparty risks from the networks that you're on, counterparty risks from the custodians you're on. You have network level risks from the, you know, the volatility of the coin, protocol risks. So for someone like, like you know, Magic Eden, OpenSea are great examples here. All of their revenue is in, in crypto. All, most of their expenses are in USD. So you're suddenly overlaid of, we need to, we need to plan for the next 12 months we need a budget that is denominated in crypto, uh, that, where revenue is denominated in crypto, but expenses are denominated in USD. And we need to basically plan for what happens if crypto goes to a million, what happens if crypto goes to zero, and plan for everything between those two things. It is a really hard FP&A job. But we're, you know, we have a lot of tools to kind of help with that. I wouldn't say we're, I think we're still figuring it out, to be honest. Like, I feel like we as an industry are still deeply figuring out what it means to do complex FP&A around this. Because, you know, there is there are analogies like Forex is a good analogy where people have FP&A teams that analyze their Forex exposure and make recommendations. But at the end of the day, like Forex doesn't move 50 percent in one day. <laughs> right. Like that's just it's just a different ball game when you get into crypto. So you have to have different types of risk exposure. Like you don't have, you know, uh, counterparty risk in terms of like if the market went down, would you literally like liquidate the entire you know, brokerage that is sitting on your options that you're sitting on. Like there's really hard, or does FTX suddenly disappear overnight? So 
I think we're also trying to figure out exactly how to do good risk management, good FP&A on top of, of crypto. But we're we're doing our best. Like we're trying to get we're trying to get the the tech into people's hands so that they can start figuring it out. So you you mentioned a couple of times like some of the NFT marketplaces. Can you break yeah. down a little bit about your what your customer base looks like? Because I, I you know just looking at the logos on your website, it spans a pretty wide gamut. It's it's a, it's the most interesting startup I've ever been involved with because we sell to Fortune 50 companies and we sell to two person mom and pop DeFi shops <laughs> that are just like dipping their toe in the water here, which is a really interesting market it's it's hard to price it's hard to like there's like a million things that make that really hard for a startup but it is it is super fun um we do everything from really really crazy DeFi pools tech uh you know opens a client they are a on-chain options protocol really fun stuff like that that we've had to build really robust uh DeFi handling for all the way up through the you know the biggest companies that you've heard of doing digital assets are probably our customers. We can't usually talk about them due to NDAs, sure. unfortunately, but we have many of them listed on the website, like GameStop's a good example. So uh, it is, it covers the entire range. I'd say the, the thing that unifies them all is they have expenses and revenue in crypto, some, some form of it. You know, if, if all you're doing is you buy a load of crypto, you hold it and then you sell it like almost like it's an investment. You actually smell a lot like a, you smell a lot like a retail investor. Uh, and and most people we deal with might even just do that all on spreadsheets. Like I know MicroStrategy does this all on spreadsheets. So you are, it is kind of an interesting world where it is a, there's a lot of people that if you're just buying and holding that could be spreadsheet driven or even traditional asset manager tools. It's as soon as you're transacting in crypto that things get really, really, really tricky. And that's where tools like Bitwave really come in, where you're actually like, day-to-day transacting, getting that revenue, that's where you have to do it. And that's where you also are picking up really complex liabilities. Like a lot of the people that are in this space, you know, they get revenue and then they owe part of that. If you're a miner, a lot of the times the way miners work is they get revenue and then they basically owe a portion of that back to the mining facility that they're in, like if they're co-locating. So they do like a revenue share. That's really complicated accounting. Like it just, to do that on a, on a asset that you have to fair market value or you have to impair like digital assets makes it really, really tricky accounting work. So everything up and down the stack. And honestly, the best thing about BitWave is everyone here just loves this stuff. Like all of us uh, own NFTs. We all, we all uh, YOLO'd into every DeFi protocol during the DGen summer. Like we really, really love this stuff. So it's fun. It's fun getting to work with the companies that we really like their products. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you yeah, compound is a good example. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, you've got a lot of empathy for what the what the what your clients are doing on a daily basis as long, you know, as you're participating in the ecosystem alongside it. And then I would imagine, um, you know, a lot of the complex challenges that you mentioned there is like, you know, converting back to, you know, some fiat currency as well, because like you said, a lot of these are businesses that have U.S. dollar liabilities, but potentially yep. no assets or even just the AP and AR that, you know, you're you're constantly monitoring for them. It's kind of like a big foreign exchange exercise 24-7. It's, it's a really complicated one. But and yeah. we, we love it. I mean, we see this year, we see a lot um, happening around ARAP. Like, we think that this is going to be a real year for payments. You know, you, talk, you talked about stable coins. We, you know, we briefly touched on the banking crisis. But, like, stable coins have really come out. If, you, if, if I had put together my uh, crypto bingo card for 2023, I don't think I would have put stable coins on there. And yet, stable coins have come out as this really interesting use case. Like I, I love when new use cases pop up in crypto and the idea that I can pay $1 and get $1 back that is spread across, you know, 10 banks and T-bills is really, really powerful. And I think we're all realizing that right now. So uh, I think stable coins are about to have a new, a new heyday here. 
So do you see that, you know, you talked about that in the use case of like AP and AR, but are you seeing that in terms of uh, payroll as well? Is that yep. potentially an application that you're seeing, you know, clients? April, yeah, AP payroll. Um, you know, I think U.S. payroll is a relatively solved problem. So I, we don't see it too much for people trying to replace their, they're not trying to replace Unless you bank with SVB and you're not Unless sure you're going to be able to get yeah. money off next weekend, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and and even like when you get into some of the really tricky stuff like like streaming streaming payroll and things like that, you know it's it's not really a problem that a lot of people necessarily have if you are in the U.S. working for U.S. companies, yep. where payroll becomes incredibly important is as soon as you're working in the U.S. for non-U.S. companies. So or in the not you're a U.S. company working outside the U.S. So right. that's where payroll is still very very complicated. It's very expensive. You know, working with Deal or any of these guys, there's a very high cost that you pay for their service. Um, and there's a very real world where we're going to see that start to kind of go away. So I, I don't, you know, I don't know when we're really going to see payroll pick up in the U.S. for U.S. citizens from U.S. companies, if if that ever becomes a major thing. Maybe. I mean, I think it would be like an opt-in thing for kind of fun. Like people, people would prefer to get and self-custody their money rather than go through a bank. Um, which I can understand because like, again, I don't really like banks all that much. So, <laughs> yeah, especially given all that's happened recently, I think self custody becomes much more of a priority for people. And well, so, and, and like, I mean, it's a great example of like it's such it's such a cluster of an industry in the sense that like of a of a problem because like with SVB is a good example. You know, you can't you can't change your deposit your your uh, uh, direct deposit. A bank account in in 12 hours like that's not how right. it works like you change your bank account it takes a week or more you fill out a paper form you send it to someone like you have to you get the two one penny deposits you have to report back like <laughs> and so on a day like this where everyone is scrambling madly to to leave a bank uh you are really sol if if you have direct deposit into that bank and then the other the other side of course that i think about a lot which is unrelated to all this but it, it does bother me deeply is, you know, we actually, so at this point, we actually, we work with um, uh, First Republic, a couple mm -hmm. other banks just for diversity, but like, uh, I love my First Republic banker. Like, I love it. Like they are, I get beers with him. He's a, he's a genuinely good human being. And it is, but with the way the markets are working, where suddenly everyone is so incentivized to flee to City or Bank of America, it's, it really kind of depresses me to think about a world where, like regional banks, regional high touch, high touch banks with good service can exist. Like that really depresses me deeply. Uh, and I'm, and I'm worried about what happens. Like, I'm, I'm really worried that, that we're just going to be in this world. You know, the, the more you get to these, these uh, uh, too big to fail banks, the more we're just moving to nationalized banks. And again, like this isn't a libertarian argument. It's just like, if we're going to have nationalized banks, like let's just have a national bank. Like, why are we, why are we like playing all these funny games? Like, Someone create a national bank that doesn't do that doesn't do reserve banking, where you're guaranteed to have access to your money, and then like let's just let people compete with that uh, uh, for yield and things like that. So it's just it's just kind of a weird we're in a weird time right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think a lot of people do value the relationship that you're talking about there. And so you know one way that you know you you mitigate this uh, regional bank crisis, right, is having more transparency on the liability side of their balance sheet. And yeah. you know I think a lot of these. Uh, institutions certainly want to continue to stand up and provide the great service that they're doing. But, you know, unfortunately, the way that the accounting right works, and like, you probably know this better than I do, given, you know, you're, you're, you're living and breathing this every single day is that, you know, the losses that were piling up on these balance sheets, given the 
you know, quick moving rates just wasn't visible yeah. until it was too late. And then because yeah. of the speed of information that flies around so quickly, especially in a concentrated deposit base institution like that, uh, things can move out of the bank really, really quickly. <laughs> and, you know, and unfortunately that kind of creates this domino effect instead yeah. of, you know, uh, you know, having some loyalty to an institution that, you know, provides a great service. So for, for what's worth, I think banks have something to learn from crypto companies. Like I don't say that all the time, but like, I think a world where we start to see proof of reserves as, and I proof of reserves is not a great term. I don't, I don't love it. We tend to call it polar proof of liabilities and reserves inside of Bitwave. But this idea of high transparency into your banks is incredibly powerful. And I think that this crisis is going to, between FTX and then now the actual regional banking crisis, I think we're going to start to see a push for a lot more transparency. And I think that there's a lot for region, for the banks to actually learn from crypto in terms of what we have tried for transparency, what's worked, what hasn't worked, how we think about this problem in the abstract. I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff to learn. There's stuff that, that crypto companies can learn from the TradFi companies as well. Don't get me wrong. We're not absolutely uh, we're not uh, we ain't no uh, we ain't no princesses over here. Like uh, we're not we're not like perfect. Um, but it is, there's, there's, there's two, there's a two way street there for them to learn from kind of like how we're thinking about this problem also. Yeah. But I think that that, I mean, it goes to the point where, you know, I think you're, you're following the same path that that compound is as well, which is, you know, trying to engage from a regulatory and institutional perspective, because, you know, there is so much benefit that both sides can learn from each other from a, you know, from a technology, from a relationship, whatever the, whatever the different perspectives are that, you know, uh, it's not a, uh, zero sum game necessarily exactly. yeah <laughs> it's not it's not a zero sum game and and honestly every i i still pretty firmly believe that the way that most people will get access to digital assets will happen the the first time you know we have seven billion people in the world almost eight now um the first time most of those people will touch digital assets i have there's one of two kind of ways i think about it first of all i think in a lot of cases they won't realize it so they yeah. will be <laughs> they'll buy stock and DTCC will move, will settle that using the blockchain. And they will have literally done a digital asset transaction without even realizing it. Um, or they go to, you know, Bank of America starts, you know, launches their own Venmo competitor. Uh, they go to send money. That all happens over the blockchain in the background. Um, they're, they're not going to really realize it. The other one is they go to Wells Fargo and in app, they can buy Bitcoin as just like a, with a one click. So I think we are going to see major uptick by the financial institutions. There's just there's too much pressure. There's too many reasons to do it. There's too many good reasons. There's too many reasons not to do it. I guess is a is a really good way to think about it. Um, so we are we are continuing to see this this uptick in major financial institutions. Even if like this year they all kind of like pump the brakes a little bit or kind of looking around like scared deer, making sure the uh, the mountain lion is not going to get them um, off. You know, get them this year. But everyone is still looking at it. I mean, it's, I mean, you're at FinTech Meetup right now. So I think the FinTech space, uh, we can learn a lot from that as well. And that's kind of my background. It, there was yeah. a, oftentimes it was a very adversarial uh, relationship between the banks and FinTech, right? And there was like, all this talk about disruption and disintermediation. And ultimately, like the FinTechs that win, oh, you know, either get a charter uh, by through acquisition or, or through registration, uh, yeah. or there's, you know, a partnership that's built there between the two because of the trust and security and the, you know, all that can be learned from um, the innovation on one side and, and the foundations that are built on the other side. It's, it's such an astute observation because at the end of the day, what's happened is banks, like this gets back to what I'm saying, like banks are not businesses at this point. We might as well just think about banks as public utilities like they really are like they're the way they're backstopped by the government, the way that they're regulated, everything that happens like banks. It, it is hard to call a bank a 
uh, uh, business anymore. Like they are a public utility. And so at that point, like you can't compete with public utilities, right? Like you can't go, I mean, you can try, but it's sure hard to go and start your own water company in, uh, in uh, your, your city. Like people, people do it from time to time, but it's not a great business model. So you're just going to find, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be what kind of value adds could you do on top of the traditional banking sectors is how FinTech has to think. FinTech's hurting right now. I mean, the, you know, VC funding in general is 90% down. FinTech's, FinTech funding itself is, is probably more than that. Um, they're in a lot of pain right now. A lot of companies overcapitalized uh, over the last couple of years and at valuations that are too high, honestly, for the kind of, you know, what they were doing, the work they were doing. So we're seeing a bit of a, we're seeing a bit of a reckoning right now around fintech uh, and really all startups. Like every, every crypto yeah. startup raised at a unicorn valuation that's, that's now trying to like make sure that they can back in, that they have to be able to back into that valuation in a couple of years or risk doing a really nasty down round or something like that. So it's not a great time for, for founders. It's a, but you know, this is when startups are fun. Like you want, you want your startup to be, it's, you know, great startups uh, come out of, of kind of distressed situations and hard problems. So. Yeah, no, we're definitely in that environment across many yeah. different sectors. Uh, right now, it's not a crypto specific thing. Um, that's just, you know, the macro environment that we're in right now, given what's yeah. happened with inflation in central banks. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think the, you know, the, the good thing that we probably both hang our hat on every day is that the capital talent, uh, or maybe not the capital right now, but the talent at least is staying in this space, um, you know, and very much doubling down on the work uh, that's being built. And so it's good to see the, you know, everybody rallying around and continue. Oh yeah. People Um, people are passionate about this stuff because it it really, it touches on this idea of, of self, self, uh, like not sovereignty, but this, this idea of, of self-determination for finance, you know what I mean? Like that's, I, you know, everyone more and more of the world is like, not to get too deeply philosophical. I mean, like the world more and more happens to you. Like, that's just the way it is. Like, there's just more and more stuff is out of everyone's control. Like more and more things just happen to you as an individual. But the idea of finding something like, like crypto that you can bring a little bit of that control back to your own life um, is I think very, it's very appealing. And it's very appealing in like a, a, a nonpartisan sort of way. Like this, it's not, this isn't, about Republicans or Democrats. It's about people who just want to find parts of their life they can have a little more control over. Do you think some of that's some of a somewhat of a byproduct of financial literacy increasing in this day and age? It, so let me ask you a question. Is financial literacy increasing? Huh, well, there's been a bunch of attempts to it, but I have not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I haven't looked at the no data, idea. to be fair. I, I honestly have absolutely no idea. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know literacy in general is not increasing, so it's, <laughs> it's hard to imagine that financial literacy is increasing. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, now we have uh, all this AI. I don't know if you're going to need any uh, literacy. Why, why read when just someone will? Yeah, easy, easiest thing in the world. No, it's actually it's a great it's a great question because I, I don't know if financial literacy is increasing. I think awareness is increasing sure. for sure. This idea, like, so literacy would be, I understand what fractional reserve banking is. I understand the 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 bargain that I'm making with my bank for my three percent yield. Uh, financial awareness is, hey, there's a three percent yield at Ally. I'm going to put my, all my money there. I have no idea that it's because they're bankrolling, uh, you know, Americans buying more cars than they used to, and like that's an incredibly unsustainable like consumer model. Credit risk, yeah. Yeah, like so. So there is this relation part that like there's a lot more awareness. That, like financial, the, there's been a change in how I go so far as to say the really interesting part of like what you said is there has absolutely been a change in how 
financial products are marketed, right? Sure. Like we went from a world where there really was very minimal B2C marketing for financial products. I mean, it just wasn't that interesting. You had a bank on the corner, you went there, you got a, a checking account. Maybe you went to that same bank and got a, a, uh, a mortgage. But now, you know, with the neo banks and all of the, uh, like Robinhood, the neo banks, everyone like that, there is this like constant stream of advertising towards individuals about financial and it creates, it does create really interesting uh, situations. Like I, I'm not sure financial literacy is going up, but I, I almost would guarantee you if you asked people if they thought they were more, if you did like a test, it's like, here's a hard financial literacy question. Do you think you're good at financial literacy? I'm sure that number is going up. I'm sure that just yeah. because there's so much media we consume around it, everyone thinks they're getting better at financial, at financial, but I'm not sure if one actually is because it's such a weird slice of life that it's like just a slice of the, uh, of the financial system that actually gets exposed to people through these, this constant barrage of advertising. Yeah. But also there's also, you know, if you look at the nerd wallets of the world, right, there's yeah. so much financial educational, there's material out there that can be yep. digested by consumers um, that was never really available. And that becomes more and more uh, accessible. It's, and, a great, it's a great, it's a great point because yeah. I mean, blogs, blogs have changed. The nature sure. of financial literacy. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, I was, I was boarding a Delta flight the, this weekend. And one of the things that they put on the side of the plane was that they were highly rated by the points guy and the points guy <laughs> was just a blog that was built, you know, about credit card points. Right. And so yeah. it's amazing how much this information is there. And, but also like to your point though, like the switching costs are extremely low. And I think yeah. you also are uh, earlier in the conversation, you said about your relationship with your first Republic banker. I think that is a very, very, very unique, um, point of view, because I don't think a lot of people realize that there was such a thing as a relationship banker yeah, um, back, back and, in the day. Yeah. But that is, the, it's no longer that. And it's, it's more just kind of going through your Robin hood account or, or whatever app that uh, marketed the best to you and, and got you to convert as a lead. <laughs> I hope it, I hope it comes back. It's, I think it's a sure. really good way to look at the world. I think that like a lot of people would take lower yields in return for someone they could call and they, they and they had more relationship with. I don't know yeah. if that's true or not, but I, that certainly is, is, uh, is my, my feeling on it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's an interesting time in the world, man. It really, it really is. Like I tend to think a lot about interest rates anymore, which I didn't really spend a lot of time in my life thinking about, you know? Well, I never I had to. Them. Yeah. I mean, I came out of school in 2008, so I've never known what interest rates were until now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you and I are, are kind of about the same age. You're just years a little bit younger than me, but like literally the only period of high interest rates in my entire life was this like six month period in 1993 when something was going on with Clinton. It doesn't even matter because it was just, it was a blip in the radar and then they went back to zero. I mean, like from the day I was born until, until like whatever, six months ago, I lived in a world where interest rates were zero. And now we're seeing the knock on effect of that go of that change. And it's, yeah. it's really weird, right? Like it's even for, you know, it impacts compound it impacts you know, your business. It impacts SVB was a direct failure because of interest rates going up in a way that, I guess no one really thought interest rates would go up. Like just no one sat down and really thought about it. Yeah. Which is really a shame um, because, yeah. you know, in that case, there was not as much, I, I think, you know, the stories have been told numerous times, but there was not a chief risk officer in place for almost a year at that bank. And so, you know, risk all of a sudden now is very much a high priority and something <laughs> that needs to be uh, much more the forefront. So 
minds. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that now all of a sudden that becomes, uh, but when you live in a bull market forever, uh, it never really became, it was a concern. And it was the same thing with with uh, with the crypto space, right? Because, you know, counterparty credit risk was never really a concern. Um, and the liquidity was just available uh, at your fingertips. And then all of a sudden your counterparties were falling apart because of, you know, duration mismatches in their portfolios. And <laughs> here we are today. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a totally different environment. Well, yeah. Um, well, Pat, this has been awesome. This uh, conversation definitely went a different direction than I thought it would, but in a great way. Um, it's been awesome chatting with you. And I know you've got uh, a bunch more meetings at the event that you're at today. So I'll let you go. Meetings but, all day. Uh, yeah. Any takeaways or, or closing thoughts before I let you go? No, it's spectacular. Uh, thank you so much for, for having me on here. It's always, always a pleasure to chat with you. Have me on anytime you want to talk interest rates. It's, uh, Let's it's do it. uh, always fun, man. This is is great but i think but i mean only close the thoughts i think i think we're coming out of it to be honest like you know the, it's the funny part about this pod is like record this a week ago and like you and i are both probably like like you know bottle of scotch like you know what the hell's going on in the world record today and suddenly we're back in a bear we're back in a bull market bitcoin is almost at 30k today again facing this idea that you know that finally people kind of re-remembered re why why they really like bitcoin in a funny way so I think everybody we went back and looked at the Genesis block, right? Exactly. Chancellor's on the second brink of a, of a bailout. So exactly. Brink, so yeah. we got to do this six months from now and see if we're back on the bottle or if we're uh, if we're uh, happy still. So well, you, we can cheers cheers either way. <laughs> or both. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever the outcome. Um, but either way, no, it's been a pleasure, Pat. I really appreciate it. Um, and thanks everybody for tuning in. Uh, if you want to check out other episodes, listen and subscribe to Compound Thesis on our YouTube, Apple, or Spotify. And we've got all of our episodes on uh, youtube.com slash at Compound Labs. Uh, share this with a friend and stay tuned for our next episode. And you can find me at uh, bitwave.io or at, at Pat White on Twitter or at Bitwave Platform on Twitter. So thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone.